0: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I learned a lot. I learned how to drive a dump truck. I learned how to uh, get a dump truck stuck in the mud. I learned to... um, uh, pick up garbage and trash and I learned to <laughs> I also part of that job was uh, uh, picking up uh, elephant manure is is there that's 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 like their their little crack cocaine they <laughs> love they love lard all right you ready let's go
1: from Fox 4 News in Kansas City are we rolling are we on hello, hello. I'm Nick Vassos this is signal hill and now we are joined by randy wistoff the ceo and executive director of the kansas city zoo hi randy good to see you nick good to be here um so tell how long have you been at the kansas city zoo now
0: it'll be 15 years in november
1: 15 years in november of course now your story uh takes you from omaha where you worked at the omaha zoo and then came to kansas city in 2003 um what was your, what was what was your mindset leaving Omaha and coming to Kansas City to take up the zoo here?
0: Uh, you know, it, it was excitement and a little trepidation. Uh, the, that Omaha Zoo is is one of the most successful in the world. It, it's getting to be one of the biggest and most successful. And coming to Kansas City, uh, my wife and I, this was our weekend getaway city, and uh, we love we love the city. Uh, I, I've been, uh, you know, affiliated with zoos forever, all, almost 40 years now, and knew knew kind of the, the history of the Kansas City Zoo and a few of the struggles that uh, had gone on here. So it was a little bit of a jump off a cliff in uh, going to a zoo that was in more of a struggling phase than a <laughs> success phase. Uh, it, it was uh, it was a challenge, and uh, looking looking back now, it was a it was a great decision to make. But I, I'm not sure I knew. What I was getting myself into, to be honest with you.
1: well let's let's have you go on the wayback machine here. So yeah. over the last fifteen years, and given everything that you experienced and learned when you were in Omaha and now have applied it uh, to Kansas City, what,
0: what, what do you think from from then to where we are now? Well, it's a, it's a totally different uh, place. Uh, I had a great mentor in Omaha, Lee Simmons. I worked for him for 26 years. And uh, just being able to tag along and, and kind of learn the ropes and, and experience a, a number of different things, uh, you're right, I, I was able to apply that here. But Kansas City is a totally different town. Uh, the, the political scene here is much, much different than Omaha. Uh, we, we really never up there had to deal with uh, really any politics uh, city county state uh and and I've, I've had to kind of adjust my uh uh way i do things to understand the political scene uh, but and I've, I've enjoyed doing that but just uh the finances were in, in tough shape here the zoo had just privatized uh, so there were there were some some struggles uh, that we dealt with and, and we just just were so lucky in that the community the the way they've supported us uh, passing a bond issue in 004 that really kick-started uh, boy if, if Kay Barnes and uh, Chuck Eddy and and uh, Wayne Cawthon hadn't hadn't put that forward for us in 04 I'm, I'm not sure where we would have ended up but that that was that was kind of the beginning of of the successes we've had, and once yeah, I've been around long enough that uh, success breeds success, and having one or two happen, great things happen, uh, leads to other other things happening, and and people become aware of what you're doing. And I've always felt what what my sort of dream when I when I got here was that you know people love zoos in general, and uh, just doing some things here in kansas city uh, opened it up and uh, the success has been pretty good for us
1: yeah no doubt and as you know randy in the 1990s there was a 71 million dollar expansion to the zoo before you got here and then you just mentioned uh the other kind of kickstart or jumpstart for the zoo was back in 03 where was the zoo in the 1990s and what did what did the impact of the city council's decision have on the zoo uh to leading up to where we are now
0: uh i th- i think that that uh, the big bond issue in the 90s was was a really a great thing for the zoo I, I think what happened was some of the things the improvements they made nick were were a little bit experimental and uh thought this is what people wanted and uh, what they built and put out there uh, the The response from the public at, at the start was kind of overwhelming and uh, well received, and then it just the the fact that Kansas City has hot summers, and building that African exhibit and and not putting much air conditioning in and expecting people to walk a long long ways around that exhibit and the animals were were quite a ways away and and while the the that overall experience was great it just wasn't. There just weren't enough creature comforts built in. And uh, I, I think people saw it and said, oh my gosh, it's so far to walk around there. It gets so hot that they, they just, the return visitorship wasn't happening as I think the city expected. And everything was predicated back then. The city was operating the zoo was, with the success of that exhibit, would lead to another bond issue to pass, uh, a bond to, to support an Asian exhibit. And they had these sort of stacked up. The success of one would lead to another bond issue, would lead to another one. Well, when uh, attendance got up in 1998 to about uh, a little over 700,000 people, and the projection was they would do a million people once they opened Africa, and it, uh, from that point in '98, the attendance started going down. And at that point, uh, when you're saying, "Well, we're going to build the next big exhibit based on the success of the first one," and the first one just didn't pan out the way it was expected, it was it was going to be impossible to go back to the voters and say, "Would you give us another multi-million-dollar bond package?" based on the success Mm -hmm. so it really it really put the whole city kind of in a corner as to what's next and uh, led to then in the early 2000s to actual privatization of the zoo uh, 501c3 friends of the zoo which was operating the imax theater at the time and the membership program uh, stepped in and, and uh, followed model that was going on across the nation. An awful lot of zoos have privatized over the past 10 or 20 years and got out of city management and city control. So the privatization took place, and there were a few speed bumps along the way with that. Uh, but then uh, I came in 2003. It was a year and a half into privatization. A little trouble with funding and kind of setting that direction, and that, that's where my experience in Omaha with balancing budgets and uh realizing more about uh totally focusing on what mm-hmm. customers expected that, that customer expectation we put a lot of energy into that cleaning up the zoo balance the budget and then that led to that bond issue in 04 and so it's all, all been sort of forward marching since then
1: visiting with randy Wistoff, he's the ceo and executive director of the kansas city zoo I think you partially answered this question here, but when you and your wife were considering uh, a move to, to Kansas City, and you, you mentioned it that this was kind of your getaway city uh, while you were, spent some years uh, up in Omaha, what was it about the zoo and what was it about the city that drew you here and you decided to make this your home?
0: Well, uh, my wife and I both grew up in a small town in north central Iowa, so we, we realized over the years. Whereabouts in uh, Fort, Fort Dodge. Fort Dodge, yeah, Iowa. Yeah, okay, yeah. and her family. She still has family there, and uh, my family is still there. Uh, everybody thinks we were from Omaha when we moved here, but uh, we have no relatives. I still stay in contact with some of the people who used to work for me, and my my old boss is still up there. Uh, but looking at Kansas City, it's a city in the Midwest. We we realized we wanted to stay in the Midwest. Uh, we loved coming down here. The excitement of that next big city Mm -hmm. seems like people always want to go if you if you're from Fort Dodge you want to go to Des Moines or Omaha (laughs) if you're in Omaha well you want to go to Denver or Kansas City or Minneapolis uh, for that big city experience Uh, when when we arrived here it was uh, we were just welcomed with open arms by by so many people a lot of people that uh, had I I think the hope that this the zoo was really going to get a lot better so we had a lot of a lot of encouragement uh, within the city. And then we just kind of fell in love with the energy that a, that a big-time major league city offers. We love being in a city with uh, a baseball team and a football team and a soccer team and a NASCAR track. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Omaha was great, but uh, up there it's, it's Nebraska football, which we love, but it, it's not as multi-dimensional as that big city, and uh, just the, the footprint of the city, the, the number of restaurants, the uh, entertainment things to do. Uh, I think in this city, there is always something going on, and uh, we've just fallen in love with that, and, and when I retire, we're going to stay here.
1: Let's talk about uh, Fort Dodge, Iowa. Yeah. Uh, what was the name of your high school?
0: Uh, Fort Dodge Senior High. Fort Dodge Senior uh, High. Fort Dodge Dodgers.
1: Did you uh,
0: have an interest in animals when you were in high school? A, a little bit. Um, we, we lived in the inner inner city. Uh, I had cats and parakeets when I was growing up, but I, I think I developed my, my passion for this. Uh, my uncle had a farm about 20 miles from Fort Dodge, and uh, uh, we were very close to to him and his family, my cousins, and every Sunday we would go down to the farm and have sunday dinner with with my aunt uncle and and uh, my three cousins and back then it was a, a small family farm uh, back in the in the 50s and in 60s small family farm about 300 acres they they grew a number of crops but they they had cattle and hogs and chickens and i was just fascinated by <laughs> all of that and i i think i think nick that's probably where it it sort of got its genesis mm-hmm. you know fort dodge didn't have a zoo uh, we had a couple cages out in uh, Olsen Park where we had some deer and, and peacocks, but I didn't—I didn't see my first zoo until I was in third grade, which was out uh, Cheyenne Mountain Zoo out in Colorado.
1: Was that a moment when you realized that was something you
0: really liked? Uh, I think when I saw the penguins and the gorilla out there, it was like, oh, my gosh, what a, what a world <laughs> to, to open up. And, you know, that's kind of led me to realize moving to the big city, uh, just the opportunity to see the wild creatures of, of the planet is so fascinating and eye-opening and intriguing that uh, that that has just been part of my, my mission is... Uh, Every kid that's, that's walking on the planet or in a wheelchair, wh- whatever, should be able to go see lions and tigers and bears and elephants and just see that, the awe that that kind of creates and uh, seeing nature and, and what this planet has to offer. And, and sometimes when you're way, way, way up there in north central Iowa or, or in, the, in the middle of Kansas City, it gets very difficult to do. So creating that experience is, is kind of one of my main goals in life.
1: What do you think that offers kids who, who otherwise may not have a chance to do that in terms of education and growth and learning about life?
0: I, I think just the, the diversity of wildlife itself and understanding that those creatures are out there uh, doing doing pretty well without our help uh, out in the wild. It's getting tougher and tougher now. But I, I think that awe, and, and I experience so many times when I walk around the zoo, I, I see families engaged in just having a conversation, which we're losing the ability to do that in in today's society. Everybody's got their phones and iPads and their thumbs are working, but nobody's talking to each other. But I think uh, one of the great things about a zoo, and it's like interpreting art, is uh, you see a little kid and they'll go, hey, Mom, why, why does an elephant have a trunk? Well, you know, Nick, there's a lot of reasons why an elephant has a trunk. But our hope was always, that a parent will look at a kid and go, well, why do you think it has a trunk? And so you're making uh, people think about and, and sort of get out in that dimension of, there may not be a right answer, there's a lot of, of uh, opinions and speculation, but to get a, get a child to be creative in that wonderment and think about why does an elephant have a trunk and why do tigers have stripes and why do cheetahs run so fast? That all that stuff is interconnected and it's, it's survival skills. Uh, but being able to experience that and then uh, tie it to other curriculums. We had a lot of school programs where uh, children come and see zoo animals. And it, to us, it's kind of all science. But then uh, there's any, any culture that, that you look back in time into. Animals played a great role in the art and the music. So it ties in all of the disciplines of education and learning into something as simple as a tiger.
1: Boy, curiosity is such a big thing, boy, and couldn't, we can learn a lot from our kids asking the simplest questions. And why does an elephant have a trunk?
0: Yeah, but it it, it creates that that curiosity and the conversation that you the conversation. About. I think I think that's the key. Um, so that that's what we're all about and then just having a good safe place to come out walk around get some exercise Mm -hmm. get a little vitamin d sunshine (laughs) and even if you come out walk in the rain we have a a lot of families get their uh, rain jackets on and kids in boots and at the zoo it's okay to jump in puddles and have fun and just experience it it's up to you what you learn how you learn it and how you spend your time at the zoo but it's 200 acres wander around Go see your favorite animal. Just sit and watch people. Take a train ride. Um, take a train ride, carousel ride. <laughs> uh, it's just good, uh, good family fun. And, uh, but it, education is there. We try to be a, a little bit uh, sneaky in how we get it to you. We don't force it down you. But uh, hopefully you'll learn something when you're at the zoo. What was
1: your first job at, at a zoo?
0: At the zoo. At the Omaha Zoo, I actually drove the trash truck. I hired on weekends. I was going to college, and I uh, ended up getting a part-time job at the zoo. Uh, my wife and I had, had uh, uh, I w- we were poor. Did you know at the time you were going to work at a zoo? No, no, not at all. Never in my wildest dreams. <laughs> I had no idea that that career would find me, um, and that, that's pretty much what happened. I, I changed my major a few times in college. I, I just, I could not figure out what I wanted to do. And, you know, it's so hard for anybody, especially when you're 16, 17, 18 years old. What do you want to do the rest of your life? I couldn't find anything to land on. Uh, I were, ended up working at the zoo part-time in Omaha, driving the trash truck. I wanted to be an animal keeper. I was going to be a junior high science teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I ended up working part-time. I went out and told them I would do anything. I wanted to be an animal keeper. They didn't have a job, and the, the general curator called me and said, Well, I'll give you a job, but you got, I don't have an animal keeper job open. If you drive the trash truck, if an animal keeper job opens up, you you might get first dibs on it. So I took a chance there. I jumped off that cliff. I learned a lot. I learned how to drive a dump truck. I learned how to uh, get a dump truck stuck in the mud. I learned to uh, uh, pick up garbage and trash. And I learned to, I also, part of that job was uh, uh, picking up uh, elephant manure uh every afternoon that i worked i would i would literally i started in february our elephants up there stayed indoors uh, in the winter time and uh, they can create a lot of uh, debris
1: would you say that's the messiest job you've ever had or it's the messiest job at it's the zoo? it's
0: the, it, it was it was one of the messiest <laughs> but it really was the one of the most fun because uh, just learning about elephants at that time and how smart they were and and kind of playful because I can't tell you the number of winter afternoons that when I would go home, my wife would say, you better, you better take your clothes off down in the laundry room because I, I would often, I'd be, had my pitchfork and I'd be loading the dump truck and I would end up with a nice wet straw hat because the elephants were throwing hay and other things out at me just to get my attention and just to mess with me. So, and I, I survived 41 years in this. But, you know, looking back. Yeah, the elephants
1: was, were tossing poop and hay on you at some point. Yes, and you, yes, they were. And you
0: stuck with it. I stuck with it. I stuck with it. I <laughs> ended up getting a keeper job. Uh, I moved to a keeper area. I started in February, I think that May, I moved into a keeper area and worked with, uh, worked with the elephants and sea lions, gorillas, and orangutans. And it was just some of the most fascinating experiences being a zookeeper um, that was just, it just hooked me. I'd, and uh, and as, as luck would have it, I graduated from college in December and I didn't want to be a substitute teacher. I knew enough about teaching. I didn't want to be a substitute teacher. And I asked him at the zoo, uh, we had some people that left. I said, hey, can I stick around and work full time until uh, uh, from December until September and I'd apply for a teaching job and leave. And as luck would have it, things happened. Uh, they said yes. I stuck around. I got a promotion here and there. And all of a sudden, it's... It started rolling. It's, it's rolling. Mm-hmm. So that, that was in 19, February 1977.
1: Wow. From a dump truck <clears throat> picking up trash to director of yeah. a big city zoo. <laughs> yeah. That is one incredible story.
0: It is. It is. So, you know, I tell kids uh, whenever I talk to people about careers, you know, sometimes a career picks you out. And if you're just patient and just follow your passion, um, you know, I, 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 my peer group, uh, we, we feel we're some of the luckiest people in the world that somebody actually gives us a paycheck and number one requirement, you have to go to the zoo or, or today <laughs> and, and we get to. And uh, my counterpart out at the uh, San Diego Zoo is a good friend and I asked him when he was going to retire and he said, you know, the morning I get up and I tell my wife, I have to go to work today. Because I've done this for years and years and years and I get up in the morning and say and, and I think we all say we get to go to the zoo today and it's it's such a fascinating world uh because of the because of the uh, animals but also because of the people the people we work with their passion for what they do the people that come to the zoo and enjoy and have a good time uh really makes our day so it's just it's just a great great place to work
1: you mentioned you talked to the uh, director of the San Diego Zoo. That's, that's a really big zoo in, in the United States.
0: How many? Uh, do
1: you frequently talk with a lot of other zoo directors around the United States?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, we have pretty pretty closed network. There's about 250 accredited uh, zoos and aquariums in the United States. And are you all a part of a group or yeah, an industry the, or an association yeah, of yeah, some kind? Yeah, membership organization. Yeah. The uh, Aza. were accredited by that that group. Uh, so we're pretty close-knit, and, and the, really one of the fun things is we're, we, none of us feel like we're competing with each other. So any, anything we do, uh, we, we feel you never want to reinvent the wheel, that if something's working somewhere, uh, uh, just, just take, take that, t- call that person, talk to them. Uh, I had a chat with a longtime friend that's uh, director of the Houston Zoo. We talked to him yesterday, uh, talked to the head of the education department up in Omaha yesterday. So many times in a week, I'm reaching out, talking, sharing information, um, and just kind of networking, talking about what's going on, what's happening. Is there a better way to do this? Any experience this? So it's a... Uh, it's idea sharing yeah Yeah. and I I tell people I know one person in every city in the country
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering I'm curious if you've met uh, Dr. Jane Goodall
0: uh, yes. You've met her? Yes, yes, so, yes, I have. I certainly have. you're great aware comedy. of
1: her great compliment that she paid to the Kansas City Zoo. Yes, uh, she, long
0: before my arrival, the, yes, yes. But I she have.
1: called the chimpanzee exhibit uh, one of the finest in North America, which is pretty cool, don't you think?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, yes, I met her a few times. Uh, met her, there was an IMAX film came out of, a number of years ago. Met her in that situation. And then she's she is out there uh, living her passion and trying to do whatever she can for global conservation. Uh, specifically um, uh, chimpanzees. But, uh, yes, I've had great, great lady, uh, has, has a great reputation, and, and uh, really uh, so passionate, very kind of a quiet, laid-back lady. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, her passion was sitting out watching chimpanzees in the middle of the, of the jungle. And so, you know, to, to, to be successful sometimes, uh, that thing that got you into the profession or that, that favorite part of what you were doing, uh, to do more you have to rise up or maybe take another role and you know I can't tell you how much fun it was for me to be a zookeeper and now I'm in administration and running a zoo but I'd look back at those days as, as really when I had the most fun because of that that experience with the animals.
1: Or how about up close with chimps? I, I gotta imagine they're such smart creatures they're, they're very interesting to, to study and to show them on exhibits.
0: Yeah, they are they are so intelligent and uh, that 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 group that group dynamic their social structure uh, within with all in all of the animal kingdom you know that that's what you kind of get a chance to learn about is how these animals interact how they survive then the chimps have their their technique uh, which is successful the gorillas uh, another great ape have a totally different social structure and how they run things and then the orangutans uh, another great ape a totally different social structure where they're they're more solitary creatures so getting the opportunity to uh, witness that see that and then uh, try to do whatever you can to save those animals Uh, keep them keep them alive in zoos Uh, you know those those animals are our ambassadors our gateway for people to learn uh, to love animals and love the planet but we're also involved in some uh, global conservation issues now success has uh, given us the opportunity to uh, raise funds separately from from um, our, our our admission stuff and uh, profit centers we've got a couple of fundraising sc- uh, uh, streams that we've created so that we can mm-hmm. become an active participant so we've we've got people uh, boots on the ground um, over the last couple of years in uh, zambia namibia south africa uh, bolivia um peru uh, uh just kind of all borneo we're we're planting uh, rainforest re- replanting rainforest in borneo so we're, we're out trying to help save the world also
1: what's the relationship with zookeepers or a, i guess i don't know what the right term is but so you say you have orangutans there's chimpanzees uh there's gorillas and do each of those different sets of, of great apes have their own set of keepers? Or do they have – keepers will talk to all of them. And I'm just curious about the relationship that they have with those apes. I'm, I'm wondering if they're, you know, sign language or they, they sort of know each other in some way.
0: Uh, they – you get to know your animals. <laughs> uh, that we have – our zoo is, is pretty much divided up in zones. Uh, geographically, it's so big. So a, a crew – an animal department a crew I think we have eight or nine distinct uh... animal keeping crews and they're responsible for it for an area so uh, the, the uh, keepers that take care of, of the gorillas uh... also come over on the, so they take care of all the animals out in what we call the forest area the the bongo and uh, some of the dikers the mangabees, leopard and then they come over into another part of the zoo and also take care of the warthogs and cheetahs the um uh, they, they, so that that's how we do it. Chimpanzees. They also take care of hippos, the wild dogs, and the baboons. So it's zone, kind of zonal, but uh, spend probably most of your time in a day with with the more intelligent animals. Elephant crew is a crew unto itself. All they take. Ah. They, uh, we have uh, we have seven elephants and. Their, their time, they need an awful lot of human time, uh, a lot of care. Why? And interaction. Just they're so intelligent, and the care that, that it takes to keep an elephant is, is just really, really extreme on on the needs of the animal and, and what we have to give to them.
1: Is it, is it uh, interaction? Is it contact? Is it food? Is uh, it...
0: It's, it, it, it's food. It's contact. It's interact. It's all of those things. Uh, we've gotten away from uh, years ago. We used to go in and be present in 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 the area with an elephant. We've got away from that. There were some uh, deaths that occurred, injuries, and it just became too dangerous. So we do, we do all of our interaction with the elephants now in, in a it's called protected uh, contact that we're outside of the exhibit and work with them. But they're so intelligent. Uh, they like. They like that interaction. Uh, they love having the, the contact with their keepers. And it's a very cr- close relationship uh, because they, they do recognize mm-hmm. you, uh, the, the smarter they are. And our keepers all become, uh, they, they really become behavior behaviorists. And, uh, you, you know, if, if you're a human, you got a tummy ache, you can tell somebody. If an elephant's got a tummy ache, you got to try to read the signs that they're giving off. And so that's that's what our keepers spend an awful lot of their day doing is observing their animals and making sure they feel okay and they're fed and they're cleaned and if they have medication they get it. And
1: and you have to examine their poop, also.
0: Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, you have to monitor what goes in, and uh, you do have to monitor. Because that what can tell
1: you a lot of things about what's going on, right? Uh, absolutely. All right, we want to have you'd any... make
0: a great zookeeper. We don't
1: want to have any poop talk here. Okay, now, let's talk about rhinos here, don't you guys?
0: Does uh, the zoo still have a pair of rhinos? Yes, huh? uh, black rhinos. Uh, we've got. We just received a pair from the uh, Portland, Oregon zoo. You know, every every animal that we have is. Um, it, it it belongs to a, a grouping of an animal called a species survival plan and because we're dealing with all these 250 institutions in the country and uh, most of them are zoos there are a few aquariums but that we look at the rhino the black rhino population as not just what we have at the Kansas City Zoo but what all of the zoos in the United States and maybe Canada have as for black rhinos. And we manage that group as a holistic group, and it's all about genetics, who's related to who, and keeping that gene pool as diverse as possible. So we're constantly shipping animals out, receiving animals, sending animals out in pairs or to another zoo to pair up, uh, with another animal to, for breeding purposes,
1: is that what you have at the zoo a male and a female
0: yeah we 've got a male and a female, and we've got uh, we 've got two other rhinos at the zoo, also another male and another female but so th- the, how,
1: how have they done have they
0: we have reproduced uh, black rhinos at the zoo uh, since i 've been here i think we 've had uh, three that have been born, but uh, we have shipped those out to other zoos and this this pair we got in we we get in a situation where if you've got a pair that are reproducing consistently, then you you get to a point you don't want that pair to produce anymore because then you're, you're sending out animals that are related. All the siblings are related, so you have to watch who they breed with. You don't want mom or, or dad breeding mm-hmm. to daughter or son, so we'll send that animal out. So the, the, our breeding pair had been sent out to other zoos to split them up, and get them paired up with other black rhinos. And the Portland, Oregon Zoo had a pair that was recommended to make babies. And they decided, uh, they've got a new director, and they decided that they didn't want to have black rhinos anymore. So we volunteered to take them, which is a a whole other podcast to talk about how we we move animals around the country. But we we transported by truck uh, two black rhinos from the Portland, Oregon Zoo. And they're they're settled in now, and they're uh, out at the zoo. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And and black rhinos normally live... Are they endangered? Yes, critically. Yeah, they could be the next species to go because of poaching for their horns. But uh, the pair we have, most black rhinos do not live together. They live solitary lives. If you go out and see them in Africa, you never see a, a, a pair together unless they're together to breed or a mom still has a calf with her. Total solitary animals. This pair will cohabit and so we've got two animals that will be out on exhibit at the same time and it's it's extremely rare for that to happen tell, ju- it, tell us their names Randy tell up. us
1: their names uh
0: you know right now Nick
1: wait a minute wait I got it written down got here. It. I think I've got it here uh uh Zuri 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 is yes, one of them yes and then the uh let's see here where's the other one here uh Ruka yes or is it um uh where-kay.
0: No, that that's Riki. 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 No, he's not. He's not with. It's Ruka. It's Ruka. Yeah. Ruka, Ruka and Zuri. Zuri. Yeah, they're the ones that came in. Okay. You know, There's like we got 1,700 animals. Remembering <laughs> remembering all their names. <laughs> like you know. all your kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's all right. Yeah. Well, yeah when yeah. my
1: dad used to call us, he always go down the list here. He would say Mike, Nick, Sam. Gus, wait, what's your name? Which one are you? Yeah, so I
0: guess. And the way animals get their names, uh, you, you never there's never a connection other than the keepers usually know how they came up mm-hmm. with a name, or we may have a naming contest.
1: Randy Wistoff is our guest here, director at the Kansas City Zoo. Um, which animal is the most expensive to care for?
0: Uh, pr- probably the uh, polar bears. Polar bear would be uh, because of... You don't have a big group of them. They need a big exhibit. The The water infiltration system, the cooling system on, on that, that uh, polar bear exhibit, <clears throat> extremely expensive to operate. And then just the, the diet of the polar bear. Uh, they eat, uh, they pretty much exclusively eat fish. They do. They do get some dog food. They eat fish, and the, most of the fish that they eat come from the ocean. So when you're shipping, when you're, Having fish sent in, uh, our penguins just eat fish from the ocean also, so they, they become the, really the most expensive to feed. And then that the, the uh, polar bears also like lard. They really love they love yeah
1: lard. As in what kind of like uh, just, animal fat just, lard? Yeah yeah. Oh yeah.
0: wow! But you know when they when they're hunting uh, seals out in the wild, that that's the first thing when they catch one. That's the first thing they eat. They'll they'll tear that that animal open and eat eat the belly fat is is there that's 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 like their their little crack cocaine they <laughs> love they love lard and you know nick i've, I've given talks to a, a grade school kids and i tell them that that uh that when we had nikita here everybody loved him i said you know his one of his favorite foods is lard and a, I have a bunch of second graders that I'm talking to, maybe reading a zoo story to and I get this blank stare and I, I say, "Hey kids, how many of you know what lard is?" And there's like there you can hear the crickets chirping that, they, that nobody nobody has any idea what lard is anymore. <laughs> I grew up, that's what we cook stuff in. But, uh, no, no more, no more. So those kinds of animals, those dietary needs, uh, making sure we have those. You can imagine, we get tons and tons. I, I think we get about 20 tons of fish in a year to feed the animals we have that eat fish. And so we have to, haul, we, it's caught on the coast. We don't have the freezer capability, so we pay. You can only order this fish once a year. We order it, then they catch it, they store it, and then throughout the year, this happens in all the zoos. Trucks are crisscrossing right. the United States, dropping off maybe 10 pallets of fish here and over St. Louis Zoo and wow. up at the Omaha Zoo and the Arkansas Zoo and the Denver Zoo. All of us landlocked zoos have all these animals that eat. Yeah. Uh, Interstates eat, of the warehouse it. of America. It is, yep, it is. That
1: is for sure. Uh, oh, I'm sure you get this question a lot. How do the polar bears and the, the penguins do in Kansas City heat? And, and how, how, do you, how do you manage that?
0: Uh, when, you, when you're building the exhibits, are the penguins? We have we t- have true um, Antarctica birds. They they cannot handle the heat. So the the exhibit they're in is totally closed. It's a closed system. Uh, they never they they we take them outside for a walk in the winter time uh, when it's when it's twenty degrees, but. Uh, they they couldn't stand this weather, and we also have them on a southern hemisphere light cycle for their uh, breeding purposes. So th- their exhibits kept at 45 degrees. The uh, the other penguins in the building, the Humboldt penguins, live off the coast of uh, Peru, and they've got indoor outdoor access. They they can handle some heat, but when it gets too hot, like it's been around here, we've got a big glass door. We'll close and we we lock them inside where it, it's probably kept at 75 degrees, and their waters chilled a bit um, down to about 75 degrees. The, the um, uh, king penguins, gentoo penguins, their waters chilled to 45 degrees. When we built polar bears, uh, we knew that um, the polar bears can take some heat but uh, we have the exhibit. We do uh, keep the their doors open to their back holding areas, so if they get too hot, they can go in. Their, their key, uh, holding area is kept at 65 degrees, and their swimming pool is kept at 65 degrees. So when they're in that water, they're in 65-degree ah, water, so it's nice and, nice and cool. chill. <laughs>
1: um, what's the funniest thing that's happened at the zoo? Maybe your funniest moment or the funnest thing that's happened to you at the zoo?
0: Um... Oh my gosh. So, so, so So many, many. so many things. Um, Oh golly. I don't, you know, that the most fun that I have is when we uh, open a new exhibit, get new animals and the excitement of our staff and the, and the, um, the, the people that work there, some of the most fun things happen uh, a lot of times around media events. Uh, because it's, it's really unscripted that an animal may uh, relieve itself. Um, it, <laughs> those, those sorts of things seem to happen more often than not. The more uh, times
1: you can bring an animal in and it poops on Mark, the better for us. I've,
0: I have found that. It, I, think, I think there's uh, audience expects that anymore. <laughs> that, uh, so, uh, yeah, we've had an eagle here recently, but uh, she, she controlled herself. Yep,
1: good. Uh, almost done here with uh, Randy Wistoff here from the Kansas City Zoo. Um, what's the what's the future of zoos in America?
0: Well, I think they are they are the arcs that uh, some of these animals will not survive in the wild. Um, the, the 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 number of people on the planet is growing. The need for resources. Uh, there are per- protected areas, but. Even in that uh, you know in the United States we consider ourselves pretty good conservationists. Uh, we've done a good job we brought the eagle back from from uh, almost extinction. We've done the same with the California condor but as, as the population grows, the need for resources we're making we're making these national parks or reserves and that, that in itself is good but it may not be the, the total answer because you have, you may have a population of say grizzly bears. Well, you've got some, they're scattered about. They may be out in, in California in Yosemite Park. They may be in Glacier Park up in uh, uh, Northern Montana and they there may be a population down in Yellowstone Park. Well, those bears are never gonna see each other the populations, those are three separate populations. So at some point, if the if the number gets too low, are they gonna be able to get together? Are they gonna have babies? At some point, if you've got a closed population like that, you don't have that vast west where they're all wandering mm-hmm. about and mixing up the gene pool, you're really limiting the breeding activities. Well, that's going on uh, even more severely in parts of Africa and Asia where, They've got reserves or national parks or uh, we're trying to reclaim land, we're we're cutting off pathways. Uh, We support a project uh, in um, uh, Tanzania that was working with villagers just to create, uh, we were sponsoring education programs for villagers just to let them allow elephants to walk through their territory to get to minerals. Elephants will will dig and eat dirt to get minerals. Well, they're in a national park, Tarangire National Park. But where the mineral bed was, the minerals weren't sufficient in this park. So we've contributed to a group out of the uh, Bronx Zoo that's there. They've got a field researcher on the ground. And... and in, instead of out there figuring out how to save elephants he's working with the villagers to create a pathway so the elephants can walk through to get their the vital minerals so those are the things we're dealing with and keeping the poaching has become uh, it's just become rampant with uh, the rhino uh, horn uh, with tiger parts uh, still uh, there's still a, a need uh, on the black market for ivory and and those sorts of sorts of things are going to lead to fewer and fewer Mm -hmm. animals that we're still trying, trying to fight and get people on board to help us uh, with that, with people not buying ivory and trying to shut down the market. So the zoos are are going to be the place where the animals will probably end up being a lot of extinct in the wild. The zoo is the place to go see them if at some point we're able to settle things down and say well we we can take populations now out and maybe restock some of these um, wild areas we've done it with a few species it's been successful but when we've done that the the animals had pretty much been put in enormous field pens they've got guards so they've had to watch so poaching doesn't doesn't take place but we're probably that we are the arc for the animals right now
1: amazing amazing future uh, Randy, thank you. Really oh, appreciate pleasure. Yeah, really appreciate your time and uh, really appreciate the education that you give our community here in Kansas City when you come on and you share some of the animals from the Kansas City Zoo. And I would encourage everybody,
0: go see the zoo. Absolutely. It's
1: right there in Swope Park. It's one of the best in the nation. You've got one of the best people running it. So Randy, thanks a bunch. Really appreciate it. Nick, my pleasure. Wow, from a job collecting trash to director of zoos right here in Kansas City. Really interesting chat with Randy Winstoff. Thanks to him again. Go to fox4kc.com and click on the podcast tab to subscribe to Signal Hill. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And be sure to check our website for new episodes. I'm Nick Vassos. Thanks for listening to Signal Hill.